Hello and welcome to University Challenged with me, your host, Tony Kent. My guest today is Jordan Wiley, MBE. He's an adventurer and best-selling author with more than one incredible story to tell. In this episode, he shares how he went from being a teenage tearaway, serving in the British Army, and how this put him on the path to an academic and cultural education that set the tone for a life of adventure and learning. From wake-up calls that made him re-evaluate his attitude to life, through to finding the inner strength to tackle phenomenal and record-breaking physical and mental challenges, Jordan offers incredible insights and inspiration for anyone who wants to make an impact but feels afraid to try. I'm so excited to bring this episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Hi, Jordan. Hello, Tony. How are you doing? Well, I'm excited that you're here. So I'm really glad that you've found the time in your enormously busy schedule to appear on the podcast. I know a bit about you, but for the listeners today, and the listeners to come, who have probably also heard a bit about you, but could you share your full name and what it is you do today? Yeah, I'm I'm Jordan Wiley. Um, I'm I guess I do lots of different things, but I, I like to I like to think of myself as a as an adventurer and an author. Um, and I, I wear quite a few different caps with young people's organisations like the Cadets and various charities. But I try to do these days what I love, and that's adventure. And then I go and talk about it and write about it. <laughs> Awesome. It's just like if you said to a, you know, a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Adventurer, author. <laughs> but my, 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 my caveat would be that was would be it doesn't pay you a lot of money. You get to have lots of fun, but it doesn't pay you a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, why it's not priority for a lot of people. <laughs> so adventurer author today, but let's go back to secondary school and what your memories are of that time in your life oh in that time in my life I'd have probably been better known as a little tearaway <laughs> I was I was often up to no good um yeah. oh, what was school like for me school was do you know all I cared about at that age was playing football wanting to yeah. sport you know I was I was at, at that sort of stage of my life I was I was pretty good I don't mind saying actually at, at most sports I was a bit of an all-rounder you know if it was on the athletic if it was on a football pitch, if it was with a cricket bat or a basketball, I, I played for the for the for all the schools teams and for the county and things. So it, I, I just love sport and I love being outside as well. And which probably didn't bode well for me at school because I hated being in a classroom. It was yeah, uh, it just didn't do it for me. I don't know what it was. And and, and to be very honest, even. Even today, when I go back into schools, I still get that feeling when I'm walking in a classroom to speak to children. It still makes me feel like really tight and enclosed and just want to be outside and almost like it's almost claustrophobic in a, in a, in a non-orthodox way. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, I was... I. I I came from a, a very working class family. My family both sort of grew up on council estates and worked very hard to get off them. Um, you know, my, my father was in the military in the Royal Marines, and my my mum was a, again a, had lots of different jobs as I was growing up. But she was whatever I lacked, maybe materially, I gained in love yeah. and support for sure. Um, I didn't go without any love or support. That's that was for certain. And they they did their best and and have done their best for me all their life and have been great role models. And when I look back at, uh, at school, you know, I probably I feel a bit like I let them down and let myself down because I just didn't apply myself. I was 
you know, a, 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 the academic sort of way of of, of 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 sitting in a classroom and learning in that style just never really worked for me. And I found it really difficult. And as a result, you know, I became quite disruptive, I think, in a lot of my lessons. Um, don't get me wrong, I wasn't the worst. There was a lot worse than me. But when I look back and reflect, um, I was... Yeah, I was I, I was a bit of a nuisance to a lot of teachers. I, as I say, I was probably quite disruptive. And you know, the only thing that really interested me was PE. And even even the the theoretical side of PE, I didn't really enjoy that. You know, the sort of the science and and, and what went with it. I just found it again going back into a classroom really challenging. Um, I was often in trouble with with the law as well. I'm, a, I'm a, again, I'm ashamed to say it. At 14, 15, 16, I had numerous sort of um skirmishes with the police you know found myself in a cell locked or, or in, in a cell for the night for for whatever it was drunken disorderly or breach of the peace or you know being a nuisance to, to society for like a lot of my friends were at the time you know we, we would get up to no good um on the parks on friday saturday nights and yeah. uh, i guess terrorize locals and innocent bystanders um and, and again, that's not something I'm proud of. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at that, and I shouldn't because it's not something I'm proud of. I'm actually ashamed of it, and I, I, I needed to, dare I say, get. I love Blackpool very much, but I needed to get out of, of Blackpool and, and probably find my own way in the world. And, and yeah, and I, I joined the military at 16, and, and I guess that the rest was history, as they say. I, I had to grow up quite quickly. So, um. There were a couple of things in that, and one is that, like like you, I grew up on council estate in the southeast of England. Um, but that thing of hanging about down parks, big gangs of us doing it, and and I sort of think, how we, how did that happen? How did we get access to the alcohol that we did? Well, we we bought them from the shop, um, but it was very much normal. That was just how it was, and our poor teachers used to put up with a lot. So I kind of I can relate to that just being part of everyday life. Um, and then I wonder, did you take your GCSEs then? Did you did you do PE as GCSE? Yeah, it was the only GCSE I got. And yeah. I remember I remember my teacher telling me I was on for an A star and and the reason I didn't get it, I I got I, I it was basically I, I don't know how it is these days, but it was split into physical and 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 pra- and uh, theoretical, mm-hmm. and I, I was on for an A star in PE until mm-hmm. the exams and the theoretical side, and I I actually I think I got a B, uh, which was I was really disappointed in actually, but that was because my you know I didn't revise, I didn't do all the theory side of it, what I needed to do, but it was the, it was the only GCSE I got. Uh, all the rest were sort of E's and and D's or whatever they were, um, yeah. but yeah no a to c's except for pe and mm. yeah and uh, yeah you know that's a great shame but I, I also think you shouldn't you know life is life is one big lesson and it's continue you're continually learning all the time and uh, i i think you know i would say to any young person you know you have to take the lessons from that that phase of your life and mm. apply them to to, to to whatever's coming in the future because it's certainly not defined me in any way um in fact if anything i've used it as fuel to, to push on and um, but at the same time, education is really important. And what I would also say is having traveled the world for the last 20 years plus and seen the power of education in some of the harshest uh, environments on the planet, you know, conflict zones, war zones and and, and areas of great deprivation. E- education is one of the best tools that you will find in the world that will inspire hope for a brighter future. So 
I would encourage anyone while you've got the opportunity, if you've got the opportunity to give it your all, give it 110% if you're at school, whether whether it's the way you learn or not, what you have got is a very privileged opportunity, which a lot of people don't have access to in the world. So, but at the same time, I've had to go through a big journey to learn that and understand that and see a lot of the world. and, and, And I guess a lot of people won't ever see some of the things that I've seen, you know, being a soldier and and, and so on. And to that point of signing up with the, was it the army that you joined? Yeah, the, Brit- um, yeah, the British army. So, uh, and we'd had a, a chat prior to this call where I said, you know, when I was I think 16, I'd called up our local recruiting office and said I was interested in army life because I wanted some routine because I lived in a very chaotic household. What led you to making... Like to going in to see the recruitment officer or, you know, was there the influence of your dad or how did that come about? No, my dad, um, my dad, obviously, he, he was very supportive of the decision, but he certainly didn't push me that way or anything like that. Um, to be honest, completely honest, it was it was sort of like limited options. You know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm sat up in Blackpool at 16. The friends who had a bit about them, they went to college and then on to university. You know, I was a kid who was 16 with very little in terms of academic qualifications, almost non-existent. I'd also been in trouble with the police. So in theory, I had a criminal record as well. Um, so the, the prospects were, were quite low and limited. Um, so it, it was sort of, well, what else can I do from here? And I, I loved I loved adventure and travel and I loved sport and, and being physically active. And the army was was a great choice, really. For, it was almost a natural choice. But, you know, even going in the recruiting office, though, I learned that you need qualifications to, to, to do the jobs that you want to do. I was... I went in there with great aspirations of, you know, being an engineer or working in intelligence at the time or whatever it was. And actually, I was told quite quickly, you know, you, your psychometric testing results are too low. You have got no A, A to C's, GCSE. So yeah. you have two options and they both involve being a frontline soldier. One's in a tank and one's, you know, on, on foot. So, wow. it, it, you know, that, that that was the reality. If you don't work hard at school, unfortunately, even in the military, you know, you, you, yeah. you're options are quite limited in that respect Mm. and you went on to um gain a whole raft of qualifications during your service um how was how was it because I'm thinking about on the one hand in school you felt hemmed in and it was you know the environment wasn't right and I'm fascinated to understand how gaining your qualifications through the army works yeah, the army, you know, the whole, all the services, the the, the, the navy, the army, the, the RAF, the marines, that they're really brilliant at investing in their people. Um, and you know, I I left the army with my GCSEs, A levels, foundation degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and it didn't cost me a penny, which is incredible because yeah. you know tens of thousands of pounds of education that most people go and have to get student loans and all those sorts of things for. So. I'm incredibly grateful to the army for that. And I'd also say that when I was studying in the army, I was studying in a field that really interests me. I I was actually studying in in the field of risk management and security and safety, which is obviously related to sort of military in a weird roundabout way. So I was really invested in the subjects. You know, it wasn't to me, it wasn't maths and English and science and, you know, religious studies or whatever it is you do in school. I I was studying things that I was passionate about. and, And I think that makes a real difference. You know, you're not you're also when you go to 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 education or school as an adult you are 
you're learning because you want to learn. You're not learning because yeah. you want to or have to learn, uh, which is a very different, I think, uh, proposition to, to you as the learner. Um, yeah. But, but I was also learning because I understood that it would open new doors. So, you know, I, I think some people go to education because they want to learn, but some people go to education because they want to find new opportunities um, you know, and having certain qualifications will open certain doors in the world. And I think I was probably somewhere in the middle of them. I didn't really want to spend lots of my spare time, you know, going to college on a Tuesday and Thursday night. But I also had seen in the industry that I was interested in that, that having a degree will yeah. open new doors. And because I'm also looking at my my sort of colleagues and, you know, that there is tens of thousands of, of British army retired veterans who are going for the same job. So how, for me, how was I going to stand out in a very crowded marketplace, especially in something like the security industry, which is full of ex-military people. And and for me having a degree and, and I didn't think it really mattered so much about the, the, the subject of the degree. I think having a degree shows a level of dedication and commitment to professional development that, that whether you got a great grade or you didn't you've you've you know you've looked at a situation and tried to better yourself as a result of it and I, and I think I think employers value that you know whether I'm right or wrong I don't know but but I certainly knowing what I had to do to to earn a degree was 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 pretty brutal and I only just scraped through it and yeah you know I, I, I didn't pass with flying colors by any means and and it, and it, and it uh, you know it was it was a challenge from from the outset so I'm really intrigued to know, and there's there's so much that I want to ask you, and I'm conscious of the things that we must talk about. Um, how did you become so focused? How was it that you sort of say, you know, school wasn't for you, it, everything was not going as, as well as it might go, so you went, right, I'm going to join up, and now while I'm here, I think I'm going to aim for that. Um, fascinated well, to know where that came from. Well, do you know, actually, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a chapter in my story that I, I, I don't really talk about uh, that often, to be honest, but, it, but you, you, you sort of, there is, there is, yeah, it's a great question because I was actually a rejoiner to the army. So I, I joined the army for six years and then I left for six months, went back to Blackpool and then realised this is not where I want to be again and then rejoined the army. So it was... I went to Blackpool after the six years. I had no qualification. Still, I was just a, a guy who'd been in the army for six years, and then had, had left the army. I realised that I was in exactly the same situation. Of course, I had six years of experience, and yeah. and uh, and you know what 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 I remember. I had these dreams at the time of going to be like a, a bodyguard for you know celebrities and yeah. pop stars and all this sort of thing, which a lot of sort of ex-military do. And and I thought that was the route I was going to go. And I, I can remember I got a job. Um, as the security guard at my Tesco Express in Blackpool. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and and I'd gone from like, and you know, no no disrespect to anyone who, yeah. who who works at Tesco or is a security guard there or anything like that, because that, that isn't what this comment's about. It's a no. I'd I I'd come from serving my country, wearing my medals and being on the front line and, and being very proud of what I do. And and I wanted to go into security at a very high level. And I remember my job was pressing the the button on the barrier to let cars into the Tesco supermarket. And yeah. I remember thinking, and I was I was doing twelve hour shifts for six days a week, and I still didn't even earn enough to be able to cover my my mortgage and my bills and things. And I, wow. it was soul destroying. And one, I remember one day because uh, my regiment recruited from Lancashire and Blackpool. And one day, my friends came in on leave into the Tesco superstore. You know, we were on leave from the army, yeah. and he was giving me all the banter and what have you. Yeah. 
and I, and, I, and I remember thinking, God, I miss those days. And and, I, and it was something that clicked in me. I said, you know what? I need to I need to go back to doing what that because because when I left as well, when I left the army, it was after my one of my tours in Iraq, and and we'd had a, quite a tough time. I'd lost a, a, a great friend and some other colleagues and what have you, some heroes, in fact. And um, I, it was a bit of a knee jerk reaction for me just to leave. You know, I was like, oh, I don't want to. You know, I'd seen a bit of sort of death and destruction, and I thought I need to get out of this place. And, and and I didn't really think it through. I just decided, you know, I'm giving my notice, I'm leaving. And then when I got back to Blackpool, I realised that I wasn't actually much better off than when I left to join the army at 16. So when I went back in the army the second time, I actually went in and I looked at the, the job of being in the army very differently because the first time I was in, the army was my life. It was everything. It was, you know, I, I, I lived, slept and breathed, you know, being a soldier and that was it. Nothing else mattered. But when I went in, having had a bit of a glimpse of the outside the second time, I went in with a plan that I was going to leave again, but I was going to, I guess for a better word, exploit everything that the army has to offer me from a continued professional development perspective. Because a lot of so every soldier and every person in the military has the same opportunities as me. But because you're so busy and you're so in in your day job, yeah. a lot of people will never never. In fact, most people I don't think take advantage of the opportunities and the funding available because. You know, the army, the military doesn't make it super easy to, for you to find these. You have to do a lot of research. You have to attend a lot of meetings at your military education center. And there's a, there's quite a lot of barriers to it. But, and, and I guess at the same time, because the army's conscious that if it trains you up to a great level, it doesn't want to lose you. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, 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 there's a downside from the army and the military's perspective. But there are great systems in place in the military, but they don't jump out and come and grab you and say, come and take advantage. You have to really dig through the weeds and get in the trenches to find all these funding mechanisms. And yeah. fortunately through, you know, meeting the right people and speaking to the right sort of chain of command and officers, I was able to, to get tens of thousands of pounds of funding, but, but that same funding's there for everybody, but you've got to be quite brutal and determined in your focus. Um, and because I'd seen life on the outside as an adult after leaving, I, I needed to get back in and, not only that, I was earning money while I was learning, you know, which is quite yeah. rare. If you go to uni, you're spending money. But if you can yeah. do your qualifications and be working, being paid by the same person, that was a great advantage for me. Wow. So, um, and you mentioned when we spoke previously, you know, there was just, you were learning about everything while you were in the army. So there were cultural lessons that you learned. You learned how to be a soldier. You learned, I mean, and when you returned you were doing study um tell me about because you mentioned um Iraq um you said you, you, there had been kind of a, some real life-changing moments during the tours that you did um what are the ones that stand out for you yeah I think you know I think wherever we find ourselves in life today I think we're, we're a reflection of uh, and a sort of a product of, of the things we've experienced um you know, we're sort of, I, I guess, the architects of our own destinies and, and and going to Iraq as a soldier and seeing, you know, people lose their lives and, and sacrifice their self for their country. And it was it, it was very tough to experience that and very emotional at times as well. But, you know, and I, I saw the worst of humanity, but I also saw the best of humanity from people like the Iraqi people. You know, you only ever sort of really know in this world what you've seen on the news and, and you're heavily influenced by the media. But when you go to a lot of these places and you meet, you know, the local people, same in, you know, whether it be Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Libya, Syria, 99% of the people in these places are good people, good, honest, hardworking people who who just want peace. And it, it really opened my eyes to, to 
certainly the media narrative and, and and how our brains and minds are influenced back home by by what we're fed through you know through digital means and and and, and TV and what have you um because as I say yeah mo, mo, I've seen more I've seen more acts of kindness and love and compassion and support and than in these countries than I've ever seen in the UK, and that's not me. You know, I'm, 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 that's a very bold statement, but yeah, I, I, I believe that I've seen, I've seen more positive things in these countries than, than perhaps negatives in many respects. Um, uh, you know, I think obviously it's, it's quite a bitter swill, uh, bitter pill to swallow when you lose friends and colleagues. Who, you, you know, I think that teaches you to, I guess, um, it teaches you the value of life and, 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 and how that your world can be taken away just like that. And and, and it, it gives you a real sense of gratitude, I would say, that, you, you, you know, for, for the, those special moments that you share with your loved ones, your family, your children, uh, and it gets you, it allows you to understand that everything can change in, 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 you know, at the blink of an eye. So you should should always make the most of all the opportunities that are given to you in life and, and, and also live a very sort of fulfilling and rewarding life in the sense that, focus on what matters in the world and not what you know not what you have but about like what i i, I found that i i often measure success these days by how much of a sort of impact i can have on on someone else's life who who, who maybe is a bit less fortunate i think that gives me a bigger sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and reward than what would have 10 15 years ago which would have been you know seeing how fast my car was or what watch yeah. i was wearing or how big yeah. in my house or whatever <laughs> yeah and it's um, hard to learn that though. You've, got, you've got to go through that cycle as an individual you know i try to teach people young people this and it's i find it yeah. sometimes almost impossible I, I think you've there's certain things in life that you you have to learn the I say the hard way, but you have to go through the challenge and the adversity to to, to to sort of build that personal perspective, but also to build resilience as well. You know, it's I think these days, and I'm not one of these who thinks you know the old and golden years, but I, I do think we, you know, young people are, are, are they have it very challenging in many ways, but also we need to show them how to build resilience. We need to encourage them to fail. You know, we need to encourage yeah. them try and get out the comfort zone we're so protective of people these days it's like even in schools like the health and safety culture you know people don't take risks because of the scared of what somebody might say or what might yeah people don't climb trees after school anymore they don't you know I, I i used to go paddling in the local pond fishing i used to make a den in the local woods but these are things that nobody does now because it's too dangerous or it's too risky or whatever and that's what yeah. built these sorts of things you know I don't know it's interesting when I speak to um sometimes I perform for women's institute groups and when I meet um and they come in all different shapes and sizes all different age range but when I meet the older women they'll say and I say to them how did you deal with x challenge they said well we just got on with it and yeah. I didn't notice that they're like we just got on with it and and you are all very cosseted nowadays so I do think there is a degree of yeah uh yeah, like cosseting and wrapping people in cotton wool. Um, you said to me that you had had a moment with an interpreter um, that really kind of inspired you to think of education as privilege. And I wonder if you would be able to share that. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was in. It was sort of May, May, early June, two thousand and five. Yeah, late May and. 
Um, it, it was a terrible period because we'd lost a very good friend of ours, um, a gentleman called Alan Brackenbury. And he's a, a young 21-year-old Lance Corporal that we, we'd both been promoted before we, we left the UK on the same day in the in the commanding officer's office. And he was a, a great friend of ours. And um, he'd lost his life um, on the 29th of May. And then in the following days, we'd had a bit of a tough time. We'd been hit by a fruit. We'd been hit by a few uh, roadside bombs in the aftermath of, of, of Brax losing his life. And luckily, no one had been injured and what have you. But there was this one particular occasion um, where we were driving to a sort of a, a meeting uh, with some, I think it was local tribal leaders or local police commander or something. And we, anyway, we're going down this really busy road, a bit like going down something like, I don't know, the, the A34 or the M1, you know, a, a super busy road where you would never expect to see kids playing on it or, or alongside it. Anyway, we long story short, we came across a group of children at the, at the side of the road and, and my immediate sort of thoughts were, this could be like an ambush or something. Why You're always looking for what we would call a presence of the abnormal in, in, a, in a conflict zone, something that's out of place because that can sort of like be an indicator that something might not be right or is about to go wrong. And something stood out to me about these children at the side of the road. There was a bit of commotion. And anyway, we got there and, and tragically, a little boy, had, it, it basically lost his leg. It, it inadvertently stepped on a roadside bomb. Um, obviously, that bomb wasn't designed to hit him. It was probably designed to hit one of the patrols, the British patrols. But tragically, this, this boy had inadvertently hit this bomb, uh, roadside bomb, and he'd lost his leg. And uh, the medic and myself and various others, we tried to, to patch him up and... Unfortunately, he'd had, he'd had sort of what we would call a catastrophic bleed, and he'd lost a lot of blood, and and tragically, he'd lost his life, which was obviously horrific. But what stood out to me was on the way back to camp, I was sort of reflecting on the situation, and I said to our interpreter, I said, you know, sort of mulling the situation over in my head, I said, what were these kids doing playing next to this busy road? Um, I said, why why were they not at school like everyone else? And I remember the interpreter looked at me in sort of real disgust at the time, and 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 he, he said he sort of like almost shouted at me and said, "Jordan, don't don't be ridiculous," sort of thing. He said, "These kids will never go to school. There is no school for these kids. They're very poor, and even if they did, the school is you know x amount of kilometers away." And I, I just remember sort of feeling really low at that point. And I remember that evening lying in my sort of sleeping bag in our tent in Iraq, and. Um, I remember sort of making a little bit of a pledge and a promise to myself that that I was reflecting how even though I didn't do well at school, it made me for the first time think what a privilege I had to be able to go to school. And, yeah. you know, a lot of these kids would have done anything to go to school. So even though I didn't really apply myself or take best advantage of the situation, it made me really reflect on that. And that was probably the first real lesson around education that that, that I, I sort of experienced. And I, I anyway, that night in my, in my sort of tent, I made the pledge to myself that one day I'd like to come back and help children who've been affected by conflict or poverty or whatever it might be and I, I guess I couldn't really put my finger on what what that promise was ever going to look like or what it was going to be but then I'm you know, quite proud to say that 15 20 years later you know over the last five years I've delivered a school on the Horn of Africa with a lot of amazing people who've helped me fundraise and and donors and sponsors and things and yeah we, we raised over a quarter of a million and, and delivered a school for hundreds of children in in a country called Djibouti um on, on the Horn of Africa so it's amazing how the world works and the lessons that you're taught and, and, and uh, you know, so yeah, it was, it, it really, really changed my perspective on education. Um, that, that, that incident, I guess. And it, and it's, 
I guess it was the catalyst for a lot of positive things that have happened in my life, like going back to education, uh, like trying to help people access education, uh, especially in war and conflict zones and, and challenging environments. And the, the charity that you built the school through is Frontline Children. Is that right? Yeah, Frontline Children. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very small charity, um, a tiny charity, a very small project. So the big flagship project was to build that school. Um, it does amazing little projects in places like Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Sierra Leone. And, and the simple principle is trying to our best to help um, children access education, you know, whether that's from building a school at one extreme to providing some books and pens or even internet connectivity, you know, it could be anything as simple as that. And yeah, the, the charity, um, we've just got a new CEO and chairman, uh, James Gray and James Bingham, who are both uh, incredibly motivated and, and and good people who are going to drive the charity forward into for, for the next three to five years, I'm sure. So it's amazing to be an ambassador for that charity and to fly the flag because, you know, it's a charity where nobody takes a salary. They're, they're they're all volunteers, which is is quite unique, I find, in the charity sector. So it's it's a special little charity, and it's done some great work, and I'm I'm very proud to have been part of that journey. Awesome, and so you said there's a sort of 15, 20 year gap between making a promise to yourself, take action when you can, and being able to deliver a school. What adventures did you have in that in that period? Because I think it's quite yeah. a lot. There was lots of adventures, yeah. Like I, I try to have an adventure every day, to be honest. Um, it's not always very <laughs> extreme, but, you know, whether it's swimming in my local river in, in Hampshire or, uh, you know, having an ice bath or, or climbing up a mountain, jumping out of a plane or, or doing ridiculous things like trying to paddleboard around Britain or run a marathon yeah. in Antarctica. So, you know, any, anything that I could do to get the sort of coffers in the pot to build the school, I was I was taking on for five or six years. I'm a bit, I've sort of, I won't say calmed down a bit, but I'm a bit more, you know, because, because I've, because we've built this school and we've delivered this school, I've sort of stepped back a little bit um, for, for, for the short term just to, because it was quite a lot of pressure and stress as well to try and raise that sort of money. And, and it came with, it took its sort of toll on my own sort of health in, at times. So, yeah. but no, yeah, I think paddling around Great Britain was probably the one that perhaps raised the most for this particular school. It raised over a hundred thousand uh, towards the school and, you know, and, and yeah, it was an amazing adventure to try and paddleboard around the whole of Great Britain in a, during the middle of a global pandemic, which was challenging in itself. Um, but oh, what an amazing, what amazing action packed adventure where I met incredible people, you know, raised lots of money and, 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 and had an epic adventure. I mean, you know, I thought we were only allowed out for an hour a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were. And then when the restrictions lifted, I had to, you know, when the restrictions lifted, I had to, I was looking for ways that, because when the restrictions lifted, we still, we still weren't allowed to fly outside the, outside the country because the airports and whatever had different closure things. So I decided that I was going to, my home was going to be, uh, you know, a, tr a transit van and I kept on paddling. You know, I was obviously socially distanced. Um, we played by the rules, and unfortunately, the the the, the paddle got stopped after five months at sea because the, the we went into a Scotland went into a level five lockdown, which which meant um. that you literally had to go home. We got an email from from the sort of Scottish First Minister's office saying that 
unfortunately, you know, it's great what you've done. You've had a great adventure, but you, you, your time's sort of up. We're, we're, we're locking the country down. So, yeah, we, we, we may have, could, we could have challenged it and maybe paddled on, but it, it wouldn't have been good role modelling. It wouldn't have been the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> if know. only some other people could have thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was, really, <laughs> what was really frustrating, actually, to be honest, at the time was elite sport was allowed to continue so rugby football matches was allowed to continue and 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 we we did consider the argument of we're, we're, we're an elite sport we're adventure we're high level adventure extreme adventure we're professional adventurers doing this so why are we any yeah. different and and we thought you know what it just would put a negative sort of taste on the whole thing to start arguing with the government when especially when so many people had lost their lives and been through horrific things we didn't want to make the headlines for all the wrong reasons after we'd done so much good in the world with the with the charity yeah. project so we, we took a, a, a sort of strategic decision that we've been asked to stop let's we've had a great adventure we've raised loads of money let's do the right thing and, and set an example to others so you spent five months on a stand-up paddleboard going yeah. around the coast of the UK. Okay. Um, you ran a marathon in Antarctica, yeah? Yeah, well, yeah, we ran... Te- we ran well, the, the, the plan was to run 10 marathons in the 10 coldest places on Earth. Uh, <laughs> and because because COVID came, we, we were only sort of, I don't know, five or six marathons into this project, so we had to think of something that we could do at home, and that was where the panel came from, because we... we, ah. we so I'm, I'm actually still... I've still got three more runs to do. This, is, this project's been going on for about four years now. And, wow. And although the fundraising's finished, I've still got I've still got to go to the North Pole in about eight weeks' time to do one there. I've got one in Svalbard, which is in the Arctic sort of circle. Um, it's in the top of Norway, a small island, and I've got yeah. to do Mon- Mongolia as well, which which ah. probably this year it'll probably be January next year. But I'll do the two in in April, Svalbard and North Pole, I think. Okay, and you ran a marathon underground, record breaking. Yeah, yeah, we 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 held the record for the deepest underground marathon over a thousand meters below the the surface yeah. uh, in the North Sea. It's a new Guinness World Record, so that was all in aid of children's mental health for the Army cadets. So that was a great little adventure in its own right. <laughs> okay, um, and you, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't what I say. I don't watch a lot of telly. I don't watch a lot of current television because I'm still living <laughs> I don't in know, the nineties. You know, I'm still living in the 90s. Um, but you are on Hunted. You were on Hunted, yes? Yeah, yeah, still on Hunted. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a, a Channel 4 TV show, Hunted and Celebrity yeah. Hunted. I'm, I'm one of the hunters. So, I, again, it's just a little bit of fun and adventure. I get to yeah. pretend fugitives around the country in aid of a good yeah. cause and and use a bit of my sort of old military skills to try and track them down with with lots of very professional um, detectives and intelligence professionals and what have you. So, ah, it's, it's great fun. And it's it, what, I, what I like. You know, I, I don't really buy into things like celebrity culture and I don't watch a lot of TV myself. But what it does do is it gives me a little bit of a profile to, to do some positive things with and, and you know helping things like the cadets and the cubs and the scouts and those sorts of things yeah. is, is great so yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge tv fan as, as such but it, I, I appreciate and respect the uh the benefits that I get from being on hunted for sure and um how uh, did you because you said you know you had that moment where you were at the Tesco car park realizing that the security detail you thought you might have got coming out of the army was not going to come to fruition and then you are a hunter 
on Hunted. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how how did that happen? How did you, um, and I, now I know you returned to the army, studied, but I'm intrigued to how you found your way to... Well, yeah. actually, when I was in the army, even though I was in a sort of frontline combat tank regiment, uh, all my experience on operations was sort of in the world of intelligence. So I, yeah. I went and did some uh, various training courses with the with the intelligence corps, and I was, um, I was able to uh, get some qualifications and and do some uh, training in in the world of intelligence uh, operations. So that's where my sort of I guess pedigree of intelligence comes from but when I left the army I before I sort of went into the world of adventure I spent a, a good maybe four or five years in private security so I, I did get to achieve that goal what I wanted to earlier in my life uh, but actually it wasn't as glamorous as I thought it was it was it was very well paid it was very well paid don't get me wrong but it it was certainly far in terms of expectations it wasn't as perhaps glamorous as a lot of people think it is that world but it but it, it opened up lots of new doors because it allowed me to travel the world as a security professional um yeah. you know and it allowed me to to, to to earn a very good salary for a few years as well which then in turn helped me go into do adventures, which doesn't pay a good salary. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm interested to know actually, um, because I guess it's when you are high profile elite adventurer, and there's lots that go that goes along with it. And actually, if I think about what I see consistently, is that people like yourself are elite adventurers, but giving back in terms of like, say, so you represent the debt. <laughs> or working with the scout movement. Um, so how how do you kind of make that work? Do you like just like you say it doesn't pay great? Um, uh, well, it, well, it doesn't pay at all to the work with cadets and and, and charities and things. But um, you know, I I I think you for me as an adventurer, you know, and I certainly wouldn't call myself elite or any or anything like that. But as a, as an adventurer who who loves the outdoors, I, I and someone who has a little bit of a, a social profile, I think you, with with that sort of privilege comes a, a lot of responsibility. I think you, I, I believe that I have a responsibility to use my little bit of a profile to do to do good to try and inspire young people. You know, if if I'm privileged enough to be sent on these crazy, amazing adventures around the world, well, you know what that that comes for me at a price and my the price to me is you know your commitment to young people and the next generation show them how how you can achieve your goals your dreams your your objectives um you know and demonstrate that and i i spend most of my days going into schools and youth organizations as a volunteer trying to encourage support hopefully inspire or motivate and i i take i, I see that as a responsibility that you have as an adventurer i think adventuring is not just about going to extreme crazy places and having fun it's about it's about pushing the boundaries of, of of physical endurance, of psychological endurance. It's about using your your adventures to have a positive impact on the world, whether that's through education, whether it's through charity causes, whether it's through campaigning and championing for equality or whatever it might be, whatever you're passionate about, I guess. But I, I, I think you know, adventure is more than just having fun and traveling. It's it comes if you're taking your role seriously. You 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 have a responsibility to society to do some good in the world. I think. And there's two questions I want to ask you. There's there's more than two questions. There's so many questions I want to ask you. Um, if I thinking about so let's take advent let's take adventure first. Um, how do you? Because you, you just really lit a light bulb for me there. In that there may be a perception that it is right. If you're going to run like if you're going to 
run a marathon or do ultra marathons or you you're going to run in the antarctic it's just about you know willpower and nutrition but you've just got to drive push 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 um but there's a lot more to it than that we talked briefly before about um how you need to combine and i know this is something you're passionate about like science and math engineering all of these things to make an adventure a success so i'm fascinated for you to sort of share a bit about your thinking in that area yeah i guess it, it sort of goes back to where we started at the start of the conversation where you know for me being in a classroom was really difficult i didn't get i didn't get maths i didn't get science i didn't get you know tech and all those sorts of things they just didn't click in my mind but then through adventure and the medium adventure uh, the medium of adventure i've i found that actually you know stem as they call it science tech engineering math as they call it in schools these days stem is at the core of everything i do you know whether that's on a paddle board in a rowing boat a parachute uh hanging off the side of a mountain with some ropes and you know my gps or whatever it might be that is all science tech engineering and maths if i'm going to row somewhere or run or cycle you know i look at things like speed time distance calorie intake i look at engineering I, you know i look at my, the bike and how the bike pedals and the cogs turn and how on the paddleboard the buoyancy and the drag and the weight and the the ratios and things so it's just a way of learning for me and actually learning through an adventure a real life adventure is so much more engaging and interesting than reading out of a textbook in sat in, a, in four inside four walls and i just try again to to use my adventures to help educate young people who might be not, not even need to be struggling just it's another way it's an alternative method of learning and what we try to do using teachers and education consultants is i try to make my adventures or certainly my recent ones i try to align them with the national curriculum so even though i'm doing what i want on the adventure or whatever the goal is there are lots of learning uh, opportunities for people who are following it so instead of just saying sponsor me i'm going there i'm saying yeah please do sponsor me but also yeah. in return i'm going to give you a work pack that you can work through in your own time or in your class with your teachers that that will help you understand more about the topics that you, you need to learn about this year um, and again i try to integrate into those sorts of expedition stem lessons things like you know, the, the, the topics which are current right now and are important, things like sustainability, things like climate change, things that the world and the next generation needs to be more aware of and conscious about. And I think using adventure as a way, as an education tool is so much more interesting than than sitting, you know, in, in, in a classroom. But for me anyway, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's children out there, there's lots of children out there in the world who learn perfectly fine and that that classroom setting is great for them. You know, the ones where, the, you know, it, it, it's risk-free, it's indoor, and it suits those with a long concentration span uh, who are very academically gifted. And that's fine. But all I'm trying to do is is help those who, 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 who need a bit of something else, a bit of that magic ingredient, what no one's really yeah. ever put a finger on. <laughs> and how can you um, bring some of this stuff to life for, you know, children that are, that are, on the council estates and don't have access to because i do see i've had i've had when I, I used to work in corporates we'd always have someone some olympian come in who had had the best possible start in life so of course they're going to be amazing at rowing um and i'd love to know how you feel you can bring adventure to all children regardless of what their background is well that's what i'm trying to do now but the, the, and i guess the challenge is is 
it's funding because I don't need, I don't, I'm not looking to make any money for me. It's a voluntary project, but what it does need is to, to develop new content and fresh content, which is all curriculum aligned and aligned to things like the United Nations sustainability goals. It needs things like project managers. It needs teachers and education consultants to help me map my adventures to the national curriculum. And at the moment I I've been paying for that sort of thing out my own pocket. And we've come up with a few pilot models and I've proved the concept. I've tried it in schools. I've had great feedback. I've got lots of letters and testimonials, but now it's trying to find someone who seriously wants to help take it to the next level so we can make it a national free resource. And, you know, so if there's anybody listening or companies or donors out there, you know, as yeah. I say, it's not about me. I don't need to take anything from this, but I, I've got this this proven concept now that, but but it, unfortunately, P, I, education consultants don't work for free. You know, project managers <laughs> don't work for free. <laughs> um, and let's talk about you as an author. How, when, how did this start? Was it always within you and you wanted to bring it to life? I know it definitely. I, I, well, I think it's. I think it's within all of us. I think everybody has got a book and a story to tell. It's just that you know most people don't sit down and 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 take the time to do that. For me, I think it was managing my own mental health again. I think like getting outdoors was great, but I, I sometimes found it struggle. I, I struggled to talk to people who were close to me about my feelings and my thoughts. You know, I'm quite closed. People would say I'm cold sometimes. Like you know, partners and 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 people would say, "Oh, he's really cold, isn't he?" But I'm not, and I'm. I just find it hard to talk about sensitive issues to people who I love and who are close to me. So I, I started writing my, I started journaling and blogging and things many years ago. And yeah, I, I found that I was not too bad at writing my thoughts and feelings. I wasn't good at speaking about them, but I could write them down. And I guess it just went from there really and and, and really enjoy it. You know, I, I, I wrote lots of things that have never been published as well. I've been working on a, uh, I guess a personal diary blog about you know young people and how we prepare them better for the future and things like that that I probably won't publish but it's helped me with my own work just writing my thoughts and feelings down. And did you write a book with your daughter? You did write a book. You really we we did, but it was we did, but it, 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 I say we wrote a book. It was a colouring book. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there wasn't that much writing in it, but um, it was a colouring book during lockdown. In, in fact, it was all the. It was all the flags of the world, and and then you would. It was like a it was like a workbook where, you know, you would you would color the flagging, but you would also have to do some research and find out things like the capital city, the currency, the population, the culture. Uh, so it was it was a, it was making young helping young people hopefully learn more about the world, and it was it was a sort of a charity project for a local charity. And how do your experiences with education sort of inform your approach as a parent when you talk to your daughter about? what she might go on to study or, you know, what your guidance would be? I think it's really tough. I think, I think it's really tough not to enforce your own opinions on a, on a young person. I think, you know, I, I remember years ago, I started to do it with sport and football and things like that, you know, and, and, and I can remember like, you know, taking my, daughters of places where she probably didn't really want to or maybe not enjoyed it but I felt that she should try things and I, I yeah. these days I these days I just try to present her with lots of opportunities and see what she enjoys and see what she takes to her you know I, I, of course I, I love football I would love her to be a super football fan but she isn't a super, she likes football but she's not you know she's not like perhaps some of my my friends children who, who worship football and that's fine you know you've got you, you you've got to be 
I think in life you have to find things that you're passionate about because that brings out the best in you. That, that that's where you that's where you get to your peak performance in life, whether it's in a classroom or whether it's on a sports pitch or whether it's an adventure or business or love. When you're passionate about something, that's when your peak. That's when you're at your peak performance. So I, I try not to force opinions and, and 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 things onto my daughter, especially. I, I let her you know experience the world through her eyes and, and follow whatever she's passionate about. I think I think that's all you can do, and then support whatever she decides are her passions you do your best to support that as a parent yeah um how uh well not how what has held you in good stead throughout the many many but facets of your life so far i think the best the best tool that i carry and that we all carry um is our values i think values are what I probably didn't really have that many of when I was a young person and I probably learned and, and, and sort of harnessed my own values things like courage uh, respect integrity loyalty discipline selfless commitment uh, you know I think those sorts of values that I learned as a soldier are the same values that I live by today 12 years after leaving the army I think values ultimately are what what guide and are, are they, they values guide our behavior they inform our decision making and they're the best tool that we have at our disposal. And I think, you know, they, they, they allow you to understand very quickly and immediately. In fact, if you're doing right or wrong in the world, or if you're, you know, following the right track, or you need to sort of tweak and adjust your, your internal compass and, and maybe move in a different direction. I think, I think values are, are, are the golden thread to all our, all the things we do really. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious about like there are so many things that you've done where I think people would go either that's too hard um, or I can't be bothered um, but mostly that's too hard and how do you break these things like these challenges and adventures down into something that is not easy to do but something that you can achieve well, yeah, I think as you say, there it's about breaking it down. I, 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 you know, it's like with any goal or objective, whether it's in the workplace or out on a mountain. It's, you know, you you, you do your research, you train for it. I, again, I'm, not, you know, I must say, I'm not, I'm not the fastest or the fittest. I'm in the world. I'm not an elite level athlete. You know, I'm a passionate adventurer. But you know, I, I, at the same time, I love, you know, on a Friday night having a beer and a pizza with my friends. I'm not somebody who's watching oh, everything to eat or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm, not, I, I'm an. I always. I'm not. I'm not an athlete. I'm an adventurer. Um, yeah. And and yeah, it's about any goal. It, it depends how much you want something. I think you have to start with why. You know, what's the reason why you're you're deciding to do what you 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 do or what you want to do? Because the reason why has to be strong. You know, and for me, using things like building a school or a charitable cause helps me go that extra five ten percent when I really want to give up. I think you you have to go back to why you started in the first place and it's very easy to to lack motivation i think again going back to values you know the value of discipline discipline is something that most of us lack in in abundance but discipline is the one thing that you will, will allow you to keep going when you really can't be bothered you know it, yeah. discipline is what gets you out of bed on a, a, a you know on a monday morning when you're thinking i want to be anywhere but going into work or into school or whatever it's discipline discipline is about doing what you need to do even when you don't want to do it and and and, yeah. and that having that routine and that ability just to stick to the plan and 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 stay in the game is really really powerful and i think that's why 
the military works so well because everybody is so disciplined. You know, people don't want to be polishing their boots every night, ready for the next day, but they do it because it's what they're supposed to do. It's what they have to do for parade in the morning. You know, people yeah. don't want to be getting up at five in the morning and getting shouted at to go running around the, the, the athletics track in the military, but they do it because they know they need to be fit because somebody might, you know, it kicks off tomorrow and, the Ukraine or Russia or whatever, they know that they've got to be fit enough to take on the job. And the soldiers have that discipline inside them to do what they need to do, regardless if they want to do it or not. And I think yeah. if we put that into the into society in the civilian sense, I think people, a lot more people would achieve their goals because it's, we're humans. You cannot be motivated every day. Even mm. the best, most elite level athletes, the Olympic gold medalists, they're not motivated every day, but they're incredibly disciplined and they get up and they do what they have to do. They get into a routine and habit. Mm. You know, it, it's that sort of habit of excellence, really. And I do. It's a it's a different um, different perspective to that of the army. But the discipline thing is that there's one thing when I had my first child but I remember the midwife when she comes to see you like a couple of days afterwards and she said if you only do one thing she said get up and get yourself showered before you do all the stuff that you have to do yeah yeah but it was such a an important thing and I always did it but it was like if you can get up and get yourself showered and dressed then you're like okay yeah, you know when you are. You've won, you've won the day. You've won, you've won the day already. You know, yeah. see, you, yeah. you win, win the morning and win the day. We say it's like what well, in the military that same concept, but we we call it making your bed. You know, make your bed yeah. every day, every morning, because already you know you get out of your bed and you've already achieved the first task of the day, and you're on a positive. You, you know, you've started the day, you've hit the ground running, so to speak. And yeah. uh, as a lot, as as many sort of commanding officers and generals have said over the years, even if you have a bad day, at least you've got a comfy bed that's been made to get back into at the end. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It is true. We don't want to go into your bedroom and go, oh, oh, it's a mess, covered in clothes. <laughs> um, so what is next, Jordan? I mean, it's still driven, still got some marathons to run, but is there a plan for another school or something, another book, something completely different? No, at the moment, I'm, 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 I'm sort of... Um... Yeah, I've got these these marathons to finish still. Um, you know, I've got I'm going to be taking a group back out to the school in Africa in November. Um, but yeah, it's I, I'm not in a rush to go and take on building a school again. It was quite stressful. Um, so I, you know, to be completely honest, I'm probably not ever never going to go and try and take on a challenge over that sort of length of time, five years to build that school and the duration and the stresses that it caused and. Um, so I, I'm probably not going to do anything as, as as big as that in terms of charitable fundraising, but I, I will continue to to help causes that I'm passionate about. I would love to do something. I'm, I'm from a place uh, in Lancashire called Blackpool, and I would love to go back to Blackpool and do something special for, for my hometown. That's probably something over the next few years that I'm going to look at in more detail. Um, I, you know, Blackpool, uh, I, I would love to provide some opportunities for, for young people in Blackpool, people who need a bit of guidance and maybe nudging back on the straight and narrow people who are lacking in terms of opportunity and support so Blackpool is high on my agenda for the next few years of of doing some good there hopefully um but yeah probably more of the same crazy adventures um maybe another book in the future but but helping young people that's what that's where I am at today I think trying to trying to be a positive role model in some some way shape or form wow well it's just it's the, all of it it's just really inspiring and I was so glad I got to have some time with you for people that want to follow what comes next? And I know you've got a new TEDx talk that is live. Where can they, where's the best place to go to look at the many, many things that you are up to? 
Do you know, I, I probably on the website, I don't I don't like to push people to I'm on Instagram and what have you. And mm-hmm. I, I don't like to push people towards these social media platforms because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I part of me still believe that they do a lot more damage than good in some respects. Yeah. And I've, I've seen them destroy a lot of lives, you know, and I've worked on quite a few projects recently with young people that have tragically taken their lives. So I'm, I'm not going to encourage everyone to jump in front of a screen and follow me on, on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever it is these days. But it, yeah, I always on my website, jordanwiley.org, you, you find out what I'm up to. But, but yeah, that's that, you know, and I'll, I'll always reply to messages if I, if I get emails and things as well. Well, as I found out, so um, it's an absolute pleasure have you on the podcast thank you for being here Jordan no thank you for having me Tony and and keep up the great work thank you